Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Okay, Thanksgiving edition. Welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pactual Adventure alongside our producer, Michael Molinari. Fellas, it's Thanksgiving. We all will give one tip for those listening around Thanksgiving by the end of this show. Obviously, we're thankful for our time together. What a great season. It's our final game together. We're on our way to Boulder. But how about the CFP? Six teams ranked in the pack. God forbid. I thought it was a typo. Only five from the SEC. How about that from the Pac-12? USC in striking distance. With that said, Ted, how you doing, man? Well, great. Look, this week is wonderful for us to wrap things up because, you know, we're not going to be at a rivalry game, but the other rivalry games are taking place. They're great. Um, I would encourage everybody who's a college football fan, find on your on whatever device, however you get your TV, even Fubo this week, uh, find this film called Rivals. I watched it the other night. Um, I saw a an advanced copy of it this summer, and it's been it's terrific. It's it zeroes in on Michigan, Ohio State, which is why it debuted this week. But it also talks about why rivalries matter to all of us, the internal workings of ourselves up here, which is why rivalries matter. And it's a great, great film. Uh, J.K. Simmons, the noted actor, is the narrator, Ohio State grad. Rich Eisen is a prominent voice in it from the Michigan side. But they talked to a lot of the great players on both sides. But for those of you that are involved in the Territorial Cup this week or the Apple Cup or the Beavers Ducks, it explains it, explains it all. And uh, and that's what's so much fun. We've had a chance. We were at the Territorial Cup last year and uh, and we did the Oregon Oregon State game just before COVID. So we've had our runs with these things. And uh, it's great. I said the only rivalry game I've never called in this conference is USC UCLA. I've called every other game at least once. Wow. That's cool. One, yeah, one last chance. One last chance. <laughs> the defectors I, bowl, you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a, uh, the tweet of the week I read was Pac-12, six teams in the CFP rankings, Big Ten, only two. Maybe Michigan and Ohio State should be moving out west. And I had a good, I had a good chuckle over that. Well, that well I will say this. Um, I thought it was fascinating that the LA Times wrote a story last week about Uh, Gus Johnson, who I've worked with Gus, and he's a good guy. I like Gus. And they were out calling the USC-UCLA game. I thought it was fascinating in a couple of fronts. One is that this year, the noon game has been horrible, right? The noon game every week has been 45 to 3. And they finally got smart, and they got out of the Big Ten, and they went and did a TCU game this past weekend. It was a very good game. And, of course, they have a great game coming this Saturday, Michigan-Ohio State. But I thought it was interesting Gus in the story talked about how grateful he was that Fox made the deal. Exact quote to get USC and UCLA to go to the Big Ten. I thought that was that was really good. Thank you, Gus. Oh golly! And that was a great guy. I got to say that was you know we've all watched it on tape because we were working our game. That was a terrific game. What a great show! And you know it's one of those things where you hate somebody has to lose. Um, and at the end of the day, that quarterback for USC. Wow. Wow. What a weekend. Yeah. So basketball, as you know, is also back, fellas. And Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sport betting needs this season. You always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way 
to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that is NFL, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf, and of course, college football. Just go to betonline.ag to join. Receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Please use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Caleb's real. They launched his Heisman campaign uh, earlier this week. Uh, it's pretty cool. You can check it out on every social media platform if you want to check it out and kind of it lists why Caleb is the guy. And I think what, Ted, we appreciate as voters is they embrace the definition of the award and gave you reasons in their campaign of why he defines excellence with integrity, not just best QB on a team that's really talented with zero or one losses at this point in the season. So we'll see. I'm excited. They play Notre Dame on Saturday. Uh, but before that, I want to just look back real quick. There, we talked about SC UCLA briefly. Cal Stanford, you go back and you watch that game. It was a sellout crowd. Uh, they they were honoring that game. And something that Lincoln Riley said post-game has really resonated, I think, on the West Coast. He said, hey, West Coast football is really good. And people need to come out and see it, whether it's at UCLA or, of course, at the Coliseum. Or I thought about Cal, and I talked to guys on their staff uh, earlier this week of, man, th this is what it could be. And, and I just thought it was a really cool weekend for the league to see some of those stadiums, even when teams are down and, of course, a rivalry game. But we've got the capability of making it really feel special every time there's a game. And, and that's something that stood out from last weekend. Mm-hmm. You got to make it entertaining. That's what I think. That's what that's what Jed's doing in Arizona. Um, that's what I felt like when we went to the Rams game earlier this year. It felt entertaining, and the football football is okay, but the whole atmosphere was entertaining. And I think I think people need to focus a little more on that if they want to get those. You're going to get the diehards in the building, but it's the marginal. You need to get the marginal fans in the building, and that's got to be by providing maybe a little more entertainment outside of just the game. Yeah. And I would say uh, to the Cal Stanford game, which I didn't see, but I saw the game was sold out, which I thought was great. Um, and blessedly it was a day game that was well scheduled. Uh, my, my heart's go out to the Washington, Washington state fans this coming week. Cause that's not right in a rivalry game, but that's another story. Anyway, um, the, it was sold out. And last Thursday night before I came up to Seattle for our game, I was at a, a, a big game event, an annual big game event in San Francisco. And Justin Wilcox and David Shaw both were there. And a couple of their coaches were there. The athletic directors from both schools were there. But the fact that Justin and David were both there, and especially David, given the year Stanford's had, and holding your head high and representing yourself and your team and your school well, great credit to both of them. It was just, and it's what, again, defines rivalry week is that you throw the records out as we cliche is absolutely true. And for that week, it's just the rivalry that matters. Yeah. So quick note on Cal, talk to a lot of people that are in and around, you know, that new OC hire they're going to make. And the common thread, regardless of candidate, regardless of where they are now, whether they're in or out of football, they all say, wow, I can't wait to go work for a guy like Justin. His reputation precedes him, much like David Shaw, of like culture, vibe, all those yeah. things. And I, and I think that's that's great because I think when you look at our league, and I think Lane Kiffin said it uh, in his press conference this week of, you know, SEC meetings are a little bit different than ones on the West Coast. And he talked about, of course, getting to know Mike Leach a little bit. He goes, you know, in the SEC meetings, we don't really talk. Like, it's so like you probably have an armed guard by you just because that's what it seems like that league 
often is. Uh, so so I, I'm excited for the future of this league with the two coaching jobs that I think will be full either by this weekend or very early next week at ASU and Colorado, where we'll be on Saturday. Uh, but with that said, I, I think, Ted, something that will impact the new hires is what we've seen new hires do this year. First-year head coaches at Notre Dame and USC. First-year coach, Kalen DeBoer, just got a new contract extension. First-year mm-hmm. coaches, some of them are kicking you-know-what. Mm-hmm. What do you think about you know Notre Dame? You saw that start. You're an alum there. And now here we go with a huge clash with SC at the Collie at 430 on Saturday. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I think um, given what we saw with the CFP rankings this week, I think USC needs to win convincingly. Um, and Notre Dame's Notre Dame's a, uh, has become a good team. They have two losses that are not very good on their record this year, but they're still ranked there respectably. It's the one uh, cachet that Ohio State can hold out that Michigan doesn't have. Ohio State has a win over Notre Dame. Well, USC can match that. And if they win convincingly, it's going to help the USC cause to be the one loss conference champ, if they are that, to get in. Um, and yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, the one thing I would say uh, that in this game, Notre Dame is is playing with a backup quarterback who's, he's, he's guys fighting out there fighting. His play is not, he's just not at the level of the starting quarterback or who would normally be a starting quarterback in Notre Dame. He's just not at that level. It's not his fault. He's trying his best. And for Notre Dame, if they could come out here to California and stun USC, which would, of course, <laughs> disrupt the pack tremendously. Um, but for Notre Dame, it would be a phenomenal win. And it's why USC, and I know Lincoln Riley enough now to know he ain't going to sleep on that this week. Can't afford that. This is a Notre Dame team that lost to Stanford. Mm-hmm. Pretty amazing this year of college football. I mean, they. it feels like we finally moved from these giant mega teams to a little bit of parody in the sport. And as much as many don't like the portal, and there's a lot of things about the portal I don't like, I think it has brought a little bit of parody to college football. And now question college basketball with the amount of upsets we've seen this month. So, yeah. Molinari, hang on one second. Notre Dame crushed Clemson. Crushed. Beat North Carolina, which is also a, a CFP-ranked team. And they destroyed Syracuse. Okay. I know. Come on. I it's you can't I always laugh at these. Well, this person beat this person, and that's how we're trying to do the CFP, right? Who beat whom? Yeah. And no, it, it's crazy. How about no, I know. which four teams are the best team? The, which four teams are the best teams? And hopefully we'll get to that by the end no, of this thing. So here's the deal. Let's let's pivot. Let's let's talk about I mean, what, what we've been talking about all year. Yogi, you're involved with CFP stuff. So the CFP poll that came out this week was different than the Voters poll. The voters poll on Sunday had USC fifth. And I said, that's the what USC needs, but the CFP didn't do that. And they have a two-loss LSU team valued higher than a one-loss USC team. So, of course, what that means is that the entire world gets thrown off its axis if LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship game. You will then most likely have two SEC teams in the final four, which the SEC would love. It's never happened. I saw the graphic ESPN put up. There's never been a two-loss conference champ team make the playoff. LSU, if they're five and they win the SEC championship, I don't know how they're not going to be in. I mean, that's just logic. So um, anyway, that, that, that one jolted me. I was surprised when I saw that 5-6 switch by the CFP. Yeah, I had a couple annoyances from the, the rankings last night or on Tuesday night. Um, 
clearly the wins over Bama and Ole Miss are weighted greater than the wins on the road at Oregon State and on the road in UCLA, UCLA at the Rose Bowl. The Ole Miss one is the one that shook me a little bit of like, whoa, you're giving them that much credit for that win. This is an Ole Miss team that lost to LSU. They won at a terrible A&M team by three. They lost a tight one to Bama at home. Uh, they got rolled by Arkansas. Um, like, I, you know, in terms of Ole Miss. And they beat Kentucky by three. You know, like, I, I, I was just like, whoa. Like, just state that you give the Alabama win all the credit in the world. Because that's, to me, what has pulled them up higher than than USC and I think that the that's just the reality right now so I'm with you that everyone in the Pac-12 should hope that a couple things happen one Georgia to win I do think that USC's one point loss to Utah is gonna uh, be something that will carry them over a one loss non-Big Ten champ in the loser of Ohio State Michigan so I, I think SC fans will have hope in that regard. It, it will be a fascinating dialogue if they don't. Um, and, and I got into a discussion last night with a bunch of football guys of what do you think wins? You know, I was talking to guys that all, live all over the country. What what wins games? Like when you get close to it, and there, I think there's a big discussion now about offense wins. Nick Saban has said that versus back in the day. It was like run game and defense travel well. That's what wins championships. I don't know. And when I comp SC, and this is what we said to the committee, Comp USC's offense and rank anybody that's higher than them and say, will they be able to stop Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, an offensive line that's considered by the Joe Moore Award, one of the best offensive lines in the country, Austin Jones, who looked pretty good over the weekend. Like, could they stop them? And and I don't, I, I'd be curious to see what they say. Yeah. That, that That's it. Well, dial Trent Bray. He's the only one that's done it this year. Oregon yeah. State, the only guy. And, and, and I mean, look, I want to say, I wrote down a bunch of notes here and things. One thing you just brought up, Yogi, I thought watching the USC-UCLA game, it struck me Lincoln Riley has a heck of a run game scheme. Yeah, hell yeah. Because they did not miss a beat without Die, And that's nothing against Travis Die. He's terrific. But I'm saying they did not miss a beat with a running back that Stanford kind of wasn't enthused about. And Austin Jones took a cue and went to USC and he looked terrific. But that is the run game scheme. And if you're a football fan, you know it well because the Denver Broncos popularized this 20 years ago. It was Mike Shanahan. His son is now doing it with San Francisco. It's the scheme. The running back is a product of the scheme. So credit to USC and credit to that offensive line that was making me pull my, you can see where, where my hair has gone from it uh, the last couple of years. And they're playing great this year. They're playing great. You know, good, good, good on them. But that to your point, about the offense, you have a guy that has been such a brilliant quarterback this year that proved his mettle because, you know, we were doing the, uh, you know, the, the Paul Revere fife and drum story in the Oregon-Utah game with these two guys, you know, with broken legs out there or whatever. And I, at some point that gets a little bit, when you're on the field, you're a player, right? Yeah. If you're on the field, Yogi, right? You can play. If you're on the field, you're a player. Yeah. And I understand not everyone's 100%. In November, who is 100%, by the way? Yeah. Right. But anyway, Caleb Williams in the first quarter of the UCLA game, he looked rattled. They couldn't get plays in. They had to take two timeouts. He was upset. You could see his body language was terrible in the first quarter. And then when they score 48 points in three quarters, <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? That's phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. I'll tell you that the thing that stood out to me in that game, everything you referenced for sure. Um, 
not only just how they moved guys around, like you saw Jordan Addison come out of the back, but like there's so much creativity, but there's a there's a foundation to it, to your point in the run game. And there's also a foundation like when you go into that facility. So the, my like sneaky player of the game was Darwin Barlow. Because this is a guy on any other team, he's out the gate, right? Like I'm hitting the portal, screw this. I'm third, fourth on the depth chart, had started last year, transferred from TCU. And you watch him make some of those late game runs. The run before his touchdown, it had me rewinding and rewinding. Saying, How physical is this guy? Like, he did not give up. And every time we watch these press conferences from the staff after practice on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, they're all talking all week long, all year long, all bi week long of we'd go to work. And I just believe that their practices probably mimic back in the day when Coach Carroll was the head coach. I think it's so freaking competitive. Because guys rise up. Corey Foreman didn't fall off the boat, right? You look at Darwin, didn't fall off. Like, these guys just met the moment. And that's, like, not just showing up on game day in front of yeah. 70,000 people. Two, two things to that, Yogi. Just perfect. One of the downsides that I talk about all the time about the national presentation of our league is when people come out who have been in the Big Ten all year long, and they come to do the USC-UCLA game, and they don't have any idea of the Darwin Barlow story. So this kid who, you know, with the big, we were there in August, he was four or five, right? <laughs> Running back. And as we, as we did a few games and Lincoln Riley would talk to him, hey, he's, he's, he's working hard, he's doing well. And now suddenly he gets his chance. And, and that, that story is not told, nor is the Corey Foreman story told about what this guy, you know, has been a non-factor. And suddenly he makes this huge play to clinch the game. Did you see the reaction of his teammates? Yeah. That was awesome. And then talk about it. His own teammates reacting, not as if this is a, you know, a highly recruited kid, which he was who hadn't performed yet, but this is a kid they clearly like and a kid they clearly care about. You see his teammates react. It was phenomenal. Yeah. That, that, all of those little things are what stood out. And I think that's the fun part of us to your point of doing the games that we get to do. Cause you're right. Every conference call Lincoln would talk about Darwin Barlow. He's working hard. And it, prior to our game against Arizona, he routed off a list of about 10 guys. And he's like, they're really close. They're really close to performing. And it was Kyle Ford, who's now become a real impact player. It's Michael Jackson III, who's become an impact player. It's Corey Foreman, who's now finally become an impact player. Like, I just think he doesn't let go of guys. And, and I think in year one, to, to be able to flip it like he has done, is magnificent and i and i'd imagine a lot of haters out there would say well give me that roster i could do that too no you couldn't like right michael like he is he what he's done is is as good as we've seen i think in a long time it's not that easy to as they say bring in the culture and get everybody to buy in and there's been you know he's had about a large roster of uh accomplished players is difficult because you got to tell somebody they're not going to get time and he's been able to manage all those things and get it working i i go back to media day way back when middle of the summer and i asked them does the transfer portal make it easier to come in and rebuild and he was like in some ways it does but in the ways of the culture and everything else and trying to get guys to buy in it can be a lot harder so i he's managed all of it and remarkably well all right a couple a couple of things i just want to throw on on the usc ucla because it was such a meaningful game um, Latu is going to be a player. I mean, we saw the kid in the spring, Yog. We knew he was coming. I mean, for UCLA going forward, and we all know it's a defense that's still trying to build. 
but you have the Murphy twins back, but lots who can play. And you can see he has a chance to be a real impact player for UCLA's defensive front. Um, Discretion versus valor. And you've heard me talk about this before. Last minute of the first half. UCLA has the ball on its 20-yard line with 40 seconds to go in the half and one timeout. They're leading by four. Take a knee. You get the ball first to start the second half. You get the ball first. You need to go, what, 45, 50 yards in 40 seconds with only one timeout to give yourself a chance at a field goal? Risk, reward. And I've known this. You've heard me talk about Chip Kelly is not wired that way. And I know this. Chip Kelly values every possession. He won't give up a possession. Discretion over valor. And then DTR throw, DTR forces something. He throws a pick and USC gets three points. What was the final margin of the game? I'm sorry. I just, at some point, you just have to say it. Discretion over valor. And that was to me, I'm watching that. I didn't see it live. Obviously, we were working. I'm watching on tip. You're kidding me. You can't get, take a knee. You're getting the ball first. So you're going to get the ball first. The third quarter up four. I take that every you know, chip would have taken that in five seconds before the game started, right? I don't know if there's a year where like the vaunted middle eight has like impacted oh, more games. You Cal against Oregon, Cal against USC, Colorado, USC, like USC and, seemingly they get one every freaking game. And it's and over. Oregon, Utah. Oregon, Utah. Great call. What decided that game? Final minute of the first half. Utah has a long drive. They've third and one. Deep red zone. And they can't run the ball. Yeah. Oregon beat them. Oregon's defensive front beat Utah's offensive front in that game. They crushed Tavion Thomas for a loss. Fourth down. Kyle does not choose to kick the field goal. He goes for it again. And they throw a pass against gonzalez what are you doing (laughs) oh no i was watching it watching on tape going you what you did what on fourth down you didn't kick you didn't run and you threw a pass and you didn't throw it to kincaid you threw it against christian gonzalez ah another you know not not sure the odds on that one are very good and then when you the game well, and then Bo Nix drops a dime. Bo Nix throws a beautiful, gets a ball on downs and throws a 40, 50 yard dime right into Troy Franklin's lap and they get three. So that's a minimum six point swing. What was the final margin of that game? Three. Yeah. The Utah kicking game used to be the most consistent thing you could count on in this conference. I know. Pretty amazing how that's changed. But if you can't kick, First of all, the extra point this year is 99%, 99% in FBS football. And if you can't kick a 27 or 30-yard field goal, then don't tell me you're, you're a CFP team, worthy team. You just, if you can't kick that field goal, let, you know, then you're not. You're just not that good a team. So anyway, discretion versus valor. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I'm going to say one more thing, guys, because we talked about this this year. That's jumped off the screen of me watching the game. Steve Strimling, referee. Okay in the USC-UCLA game. First quarter, DTR runs out and he runs into the USC bench and he starts yapping. Steve Stremling, no one talked about the announcers didn't talk about Steve Stremling pulls him aside as they're walking back. And you could tell him, he was telling, don't, don't go there, man. Don't make me have to throw a flag on you for taunting. That's what a great official does. You talk to the guy, right? And you warn him, 
right? Yo, yeah. now if you do it again, that's on you. But you've been told the ref said, "Hey, don't make me have to do that." And then the third quarter, on the UCLA field goal, Steve Strimling acknowledges he made a mistake. He made a mistake and he acknowledged it, and he corrected it. And thankfully for the game, UCLA made the field goal again. Chip Kelly's not going to be happy no matter what, but that's the right thing to do. And that's exactly what should have happened at the end of the USC-Arizona first half. And somebody needed to buzz the referee and tell him, you screwed that up, fix it now, which is what Steve Strimling did there. And I give him tons of credit for that. It's the right thing to do, right? It was not a judgment call. It was the administration of the game that was in error. And he fixed it right there. I, I thought that was great. Don't don't compound a mistake if you can fix it. It's that simple, right? We all learn that as like five-year-olds, but sometimes it doesn't work out. You learned that <laughs> Maybe at not five. You learned that at five? <laughs> I had a lawyer for a father. Parents were awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to give a shout out to Casey Rogers, the defensive tackle, the nose tackle for Oregon. You know, we have Utah this weekend against Colorado, so you go back and you watch every angle of that game and he had the best game of his season uh, and it's not close. He is going up against an offensive line that is also, I think always talented um, and they've earned the respect that they've gotten under Jim Harding. Casey Rogers impacted the daylights out of that game. Mm -hmm. He was in the backfield all game long. So with that said, now the ducks who have had the most challenging stretch, I think of any top 10 team in America, when you look at UW, Utah, now Oregon State, for them to go to the Pac-12 title, they just need a win or a Washington loss to Washington State. But they just need a win. They control it. They want to go play the big brand in SC. It'd be, it'd be fun to see those colors in Las Vegas uh, with a Bo Nix that, as he said, he's good to go. He's going to play. We saw him gut it out, as Ted referenced. But they're going to go, go up against uh, what a lot of coaches have told us they think is the best defense in the league in Oregon State at home. Ben Branson will get the nod. They're going to be healthier on defense than they were against Arizona State. What do you guys think about what was formerly known as the Civil War? They haven't come up with a new name that I know. Come on, producer. This is your thing. Brand this game, Michael. Come on. Adam Gordon. Adam Gordon, help us. No, it's good. It, look, it, 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 again, it's what's fabulous is because this is what you want in a rivalry game. You want both teams to be good and yeah. both teams have something to play for. And look, Oregon State is one great Caleb Williams pass away from playing this game to be in the Rose Bowl, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the difference. If they, Caleb Williams doesn't make that throw to Jordan Addison, this week, Oregon State's got a chance to play to be in the Rose Bowl game. I mean, that's awesome. So that's how close. That's how close it is. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's you know, Oregon's run the ball beautifully this year. I, again, I just going to get blown away and we'll see how Oregon state. Cause we, we think a lot of their offensive line. And of course, Jim Mahalchik, the terrific longtime coach, that Oregon defensive front, man, that impressed me. You know, I mean, this is against Utah. They, again, I, I thought this is me, the dummy announcer, but I'm watching this game on tape and I'm going, Oregon's defensive front beat Utah's offensive front for most of that game. Utah yeah. could not run the uh, chip. Uh, Kyle Whittingham talked about them running the ball. Okay. I, I don't know. I didn't quite see it. And especially when they needed to run the ball, when most people in the stadium know you're going to run the ball, that's when a running team can. And, and Utah could not for most of that game. Yeah. Tavon Thomas, 55 yards rushing on 19 carries and Cam rising 
you know, clearly isn't running the ball like he has. I I looked at this and and there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there um, around, you know, Dan Lanning and holding something in his hand might've been a call sheet. Like, did he call the defense? Like they they looked a little different than what we'd seen. So who knows? Well, who knows? Um, It was good. Whatever, whoever called it should get a bonus because it was darn good. (laughs) It was. So I look at that in this game um, to be, you know, an, an area to watch because we know Oregon State is going to try to control the clock, yeah. but they're going to have to hit three big time plays down the field. You know, whether it's Treshawn Harrison or whomever among these wideouts, they're going to have to make some plays down the field. Which means they have to catch the ball. Yeah, copy no that. Drops. No drops. So I, I look at Oregon uh, is the advantage because they just score. Like they don't come at you in waves like SC does, but they come at you in waves schematically. Like they just, they make it so hard, right? Talking again, coaches about what offense makes it most challenging for you on the defensive side throughout this season. There isn't hesitation. It's Oregon, right? And then it's UW is the next one. Then it's SC. Those three to me have separated themselves in terms of what they do. And it's formations, it's personnel groupings, it's repeating plays, it's the QB run game when you least expect it. It's really been fun to watch. So I think we get a hell of a game. Uh, it will be a challenge for the Ducks in that environment, even if it's less than 30,000. It is going to be hard. But I think Oregon eventually just scores too much, and I think they get the win and, and find them find themselves in Las Vegas. Yeah, that's. I think that's what – if this becomes an over game, as Michael would say, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's that favors the Ducks, right? The Beavers have to win an under game. Wouldn't you agree, yeah. Yoke? Oh yeah, oh yeah, and and I think oh, high do. scoring, low scoring. Let's go with that. I think <laughs> yeah. that's a little that's a little better. I <laughs> want to hear, not see. I want to hear how loud twenty six thousand people yeah. can get. That's what I'm fascinated about. <laughs> and where are the duck? Where's the Ducks band gonna sit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Oh no, I don't think they'll be even be in the stadium. Yeah, they'll, they'll be in the coffee shop around the corner. They'll be yeah, yeah, they'll yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, okay. listen, in Pullman, it's supposed to be 40 degrees Saturday for a night game. That's awesome. I mean, I'm so. sad again. It's terrible that fans have to have a night game. Uh, but it, at least the forecast right now is it's not going to be a, an insufferable night. That's good. It's insufferable. Professor Smosley and the gang starting at like 11 a.m. and not finishing till 1145 is what he tells me. A long day for our uh, studio crew up in yeah. Pullman at the Apple Cup. No, they'll be fine. But, but I mean, look, look at Yo, what did what did Jake Decker and company, their defense just did to Delora in Arizona, right? To knock them out of a possible six and six year. So now you get the real test. You know, can they do to Penix what no one's done to really done to Penix this year? Yeah, it, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And, and I think like even the underlying things of, you know, UW outside looking in, if Cal's able to upset UCLA, they'll have known the Oregon-Oregon State game like, if Oregon loses to Oregon State and Cal beats UCLA, UW wins and they're in. So I think there's some extra drama that we'll know by the time they kick the thing off. Yeah. Uh, but to your point, that's going to be the storyline in this game. And Dayon Henley, who is a finalist for the Buckus Award, uh, needs to continue to be talked about because we love up their edges, which we should. But I think you take those three players, Brennan Jackson, RJ Stone, and, and linebacker uh, Henley, find me a better trio. Two edge guys and an inside backer. I don't know. I mean, UW has two premier edge guys. I think this is the best game in the league with the two best, you know, edge rushing groups. But I think I think they're going to, you know, of course, try to make it hard. But again, I go back to UW and how they move guys around. 
that's going to be the challenge. Wazoo will have an answer to it. But I, I don't know. I'd be curious. Now, an interesting stat that Jim Thornby gave me is Nakia Watson, who's healthy. When he's healthy, they're seven and two. You know, like th- this is a guy, if they can run the ball and they can, you know, do what Colorado had tried to do, right? Which was take possessions away, keep Michael Penix off the field. They, they could actually do it. Like they might be able to run the ball. If they can do that. I think they'll have a chance in this game. And Cameron Ward, who has been playing better in the back half of the season, will have to, you know, much like Ben Gilbranson, have to make some big plays. We know he's capable of doing it, but he's going to have to play the most efficient game against a defense that for the third week in a row will have the same starting lineup they had in week one of the season. Feeling confident. So The defensive coach was very happy about announcing that last week, that two weeks in a row, same, same – uh starters okay so let's give some love to um arizona arizona state before we get to michael's humanity moment of the week um what do we what do we think about this game you know neither team going to a bowl game uh, jed fish it's at home in tucson trenton Borgay is from tucson he's gonna get the start like it's got storylines you had the billboard from last year right that asu fans put up on the on the freeway there on your on your way to tucson where do you net out on a on a post Thanksgiving Friday noon Pacific matchup on FS1? Michael, what do you think about this? Well, at Arizona, so you know all the throw the records out stuff and all that, but it's at Arizona, so I hope for a nooner they're going to get that place should be sold out. I hope that's number one. Um, I think I think Arizona has, as Jed told us about his his season goals, one of them is territorial cup and one of them is winning record at home. So I think that the smart thing is he still has his team focused on goals that were set at the beginning of the year, which I think is a challenge this time of year. So I think Arizona maybe, maybe a little more to play for outside of the game. So I'd give them the slight, the slight edge plus the home. I certainly hope a home field advantage is going to be something that will uh, play in their favor. Yeah. yeah, I think you have two two factors here. One is we have two two teams, Arizona State and Colorado, that we will see in our game that are just, you know, in that awful situation of playing out with interims and trying to keep everybody engaged in a lost year is a massive challenge. On top of that, Arizona got their butts kicked last year. And you gotta believe Jed and is they've talked about that all week. So that to me is the tilt in this game, is that Arizona's they they remember what happened last year and it won't happen again. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And if you look at this season, anytime Jane Delora has struggled in a game, he's bounced right back. Oregon didn't play great, came back against Utah. We had that game and it was it was awesome. Um, you know, Utah wasn't great. UCLA, he was off the charts. Game last weekend, a lot of emotion wasn't great. I'd expect him to bounce back. Um, you know, the the last thing before we get to to you, Michael Harrod, um, I want to talk about I think we're going to see changes, right? We're going to see two head coaches. There's going to be movement at Cal and their offensive staff. Um, we'll see what happens at Stanford. But, you know, the season does just end for these teams that aren't going bowling. Like, they've already, I, I'm sure, begun, right? David Shaw said earlier this week that, you know, they are going to, they're in the process of allowing transfer portal guys into the program there. Uh, we have Mike Sanford. He just shared with us prior to our game about, you know, what he thinks wins for Colorado. Like, wh- what, do, what do you guys think about the the bottom few teams in this league as they conclude their season? Well, I'll, I'll say the team that figures out 
how to encourage people to come to their school from the portal are the ones that are going to rise the fastest because as we've talked about retention is one thing and these these teams that aren't playing well aren't going to have retention but can they get players that want more time one that are just aren't happy with the situation they're in and i think those that master how to get new players from the portal into their system and get them get them working towards winning for them i think that's going to be the key to the teams that aren't doing so well and i think stanford looking at trying to get uh, active in the portal at least uh, at least on a minimal basis so even stanford is trying to get involved so that to me is the key yeah if you look at I guess what, there's four schools that are kind of trailing right now. So two of them are going to have new coaches. That'll all tell everything. And the other two are the Bay Area schools. And Cal is going to have a new offensive setup. And I would assume will go very hard to try to bolster that offensive line, which has been their clear Achilles this year through through the portal. But Stanford's the most fascinating one because they uh, Stanford has a two-pronged which we've sort of talked about this year, and I know you've heard me rail on this, but they have a two-pronged situation. It isn't just football. It's the university. The university, they're a private school, does very much things their own way. They have to make their own decisions about how important it is to compete in football in this present moment. And then secondly, David Shaw, who's been there a long time, is going to have to reassess how they do things. It's just very clear because this is not just a one-year blip anymore. Um, and, And it's been very well been very well stated around these parts that uh, that there's going to have to be a reassessment about just about how you do things and it's the um you know it's probably facing a little bit of the einstein definition of insanity right doing the same thing repeatedly expecting different results i think that may be where stanford football is but it's two prong it's the university's call as well how are we going to play or attempt to compete in football 2023 going forward yeah. My only message to the players that are all going to dip into the portal in a matter of days is that for every Makai Blackman, Christian Gonzalez, Mark Perry, let's just talk about Brennan Rice, Colorado guys that are playing for teams that are competing for all the things in college football and championships, et cetera. There's 10 X of you that aren't right. And I think the value of the network of the school that you're at, can't be overstated so to everybody thinking like hey i'm gonna go i'm gonna go play you're, you're gonna enter the portal and you might end up at sam houston state you might end up at a school that necessarily isn't what you're leaving so i just hope that the people around those players don't say hey just because it's portal palooza on december 5th and everybody can go in like take a beat just take a freaking beat um and look at reality and allow the thing to develop and I think that when you look at that, if you do that, I think that'll serve you well in a bunch of areas of life. Like knee-jerk reactions are never very good. Just just allow yourself to breathe. Yogi, <laughs> we need to trademark Portal Palooza because those yeah. guys in Connecticut will steal that in two seconds and they'll turn it into a 24-hour extravaganza on that day. So we need to trademark that now. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I already stole that from Ryan McGrady, who's going to be doing that at 24-7. So yeah, I already well, there you go. somebody. All right, Michael. Um, Ah, we, we will talk next, yeah, we will, we will talk next week heading into the title game. Uh, but so, so all our listeners, this is not our final episode of the season. So with that said, though, uh, your final humanity moment of the week in the regular season is what? Well, before I before I get to that little plug, we found out just before this that uh, Brady Russell, the uh, 
sixth year, seventh year, 2017, I think he came in to Colorado. But his final season, he's going to wear a mic all game for us. We'll get from senior day to everything else. So I think that'll be that'll be worth a tune in if you're flipping around on Saturday. Um, so anyway, let's talk about tomorrow as we record. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. As I like to say, Thanksgiving, the celebration over, of overconsumption without concern for the consequences. What could be more American than that? But we, we gather at large tables with people many of us see only once a year. Some situations, a cherished opportunity, others, a dreaded obligation. But regardless of how your gathering goes, hopefully you take a moment to focus on what the holiday is really about, giving thanks. I personally have so many things to be thankful for in my life, but something happened this week that was truly heroic, and I want to acknowledge and give thanks. It wasn't in the world of sports. Nothing truly heroic happens there. Uh, my family and I attended To Kill a Mockingbird last night. Atticus Finch is a fictional hero whose story is inspiring, but he's not a true hero either. To find a true hero, look no further than Colorado, where we're headed this weekend. Saturday, and yet another senseless act of gun violence, this time Colorado Springs, Army veteran Richard Fierro, who was unarmed, subdued an assailant who had an all-too-easy to acquire weapon of war, and without question, he attacked him without anything, unarmed, and saved countless victims in an attack that took five lives. Richard Fierro, I'm going to give thanks for the selflessness you showed in putting others' lives and your safety above your own. The courage to act when the chances of success was minimal and the humanity you showed in the aftermath that it was no big deal. Thank you, Richard Fierro, for your incredible example of humanity you provided for us all. Amen to that. I saw somewhere this morning 600 shootings in America already this year. As we come to November, end of November. And I think what, Michael, you said, as sad as it is a week ago on this pod, is he take the, what was it, 18 seconds? Yeah. Well, I don't think Richard Friel wanted to do it, but I'm thankful when he was faced with a horrible situation, he acted the way he did. And it was amazing. Yeah. Michael said, take the 18 seconds and mm -hmm. research real quickly who your representatives are and send them a note instead of the tweet of hearts and prayers yeah and well, if it's and it's at new mexico it's at the university of idaho just four miles from washington state it's way too many college campuses and i don't want to see yard lines painted anymore actions actions yeah yeah, yeah. before we let you go if you haven't done it go to youtube and check out wayne Tualapapa last week after the UW game, I thought he was so thoughtful, former student athlete at UVA, captain there on the football team, who is dealing with the emotions of losing three teammates, former teammates, to gun violence. So uh, if you need something to inspire you, um, go check him out. Um, I pray that next week's humanity will not involve gun violence. As do we. Um, okay, fellas, thankful for you on many fronts. Looking forward to seeing you. On a Friday in Boulder, we'll celebrate with our crew. We'll take a we'll take a photo. We'll put it on Michael's Twitter handle, 
And away we go in our game. Tune in. We'll talk a lot of college football. Colorado's got great stories this week. We'll rank our top quarterbacks in the Pac-12. And next week, we'll re-rank them right here on this podcast based on the performance. With that, thank you, Bet Online, for our sponsor. And looking forward to talking football with you next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.